Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Uh, we're going to continue on in our uh, sermon series, The Way, and in doing so, we're going to pick up with the dinner party. We've uh, gone through two parts of our dinner party so far, and if you've missed those, you can go back on our website, you can listen to those, you can uh, grab a podcast, grab a video, you can figure out what that is. Um, we're going to be in dinner party part three today is what we're just calling this, because Jesus is at this dinner party with um, these religion scholars, these kind of high people in the, in the Jewish faith, and, and so he's with them, and yet he's sort of undercutting and un, un, uh, undermining their value set and the things they're aiming for. And so we're going to pick up with him as he's doing this. So, so what you need to know is last week he kind of scolded the dinner party host, uh, and he, he scolded the people there and saying, stop trying to elbow your way into the best seat and he encouraged them to maybe think about misfits and outcasts and think about being the lowest person at the table. It was a hard thing for them to grasp, and we went through why. And what we said was, in a world where leaders use people to build up power, Jesus uses power to build up people. That's kind of where that landed, is Jesus is this whole other type of leader in a world that isn't used to that, a world unaccustomed to a leader like this. This is Jesus. And so we pick up the story there, as he's sort of basically given a, a little mini speech to, to tell them this. Look, a real leader uses their life to build others up. Luke 14, uh, we pick up in verse 15. Scripture says that triggered a response. As Jesus, Jesus just said, you know, how great would it be to eat in the kingdom of heaven, this other type of leaderly place? And that triggered a response from one of the guests who said, how fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. Insert polite golf clap. Jesus followed up. He said, yes. For there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food is on the table. Then they all began to beg off one after another, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and I need to look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen. I really need to check them out. Send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married. I need to get home to my wife. And the servant went back and told the master what had happened, and he was outraged. He told the servant, quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and the homeless and the down and out you can lay your hands on. Bring them here. The servant reported back, master, I did what you commanded, and there's still room. And the master said, go out into the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of these originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. And so... So we pick up this story as Jesus has kind of told them about this upside-down kingdom where the, the last are first and the first are last. And, and so one of his guests says, huh, yes, yes, Jesus, that sounds like a lovely party in the kingdom. And it feels a little bit, I don't know, this is speculation, so don't take this as gospel truth. This is my speculation. It feels a little patronizing, though, when I read it. It feels a little bit like, that's, that's lovely, nice speech. Can we get back to the proceedings? Let's keep the dinner moving, buddy. And I think it's probably religious people saying the right thing, but saying the honest thing. And kind of, you know, I have, I have a couple children. They sometimes feel the need to tell me about their dreams in the morning. You know when someone starts telling you about their dream, 
And at first, it's sort of interesting, like, oh, this could go somewhere interesting. And then there's no real details that make any sense, and everything's all jumbled up, and you just sort of start zoning out, like, I don't know where this is going. I don't know. This is a dream. It's not real. There's no point. What are we going? And eventually, my children will finish the, like, 73-minute dream story, and then the pony was safe. And I'd be like, that would be great to have the safe pony. Can we just keep moving? This was a total waste of everyone's time. And that's kind of what I feel like I'm hearing, as, as they're like, that's a great speech, Jesus, but we got this thing we have to do. Jesus talks about the blessing of a meal in God's kingdom. And that's something they might have liked the idea of, but you can sort of see Jesus wince as, as he gets this response. So he responds with, yes, yes, no, people would enjoy the meal in God's kingdom. So then there was this man, so he does this thing, he keeps doing, we've been walking through this text for a while, and Jesus keeps having this response where instead of like engaging, he just goes, let me just tell you a story, guys. And this is fun for me because I have a, I have a nephew, a nephew who's kind of like a, a Dennis the Menace prototype, um, where his mischief, and he's mischievous, his mischief masks his heart of gold. He's, you could see it in there. He's this great kid, but he's this really mischievous kid. And, and so he would listen to all of my correction and discipline when he's at my house. He listens, but he doesn't hear me. You know, so you're saying, hey, maybe, maybe don't stick that wet fork into the socket, buddy. And he looks at you, and he's like, okay. <laughs> and, and you just sort of like... You listen. Yeah, no, like, you can even say, what did I say? And he'd be like, don't stick the wet fork into the socket. I heard, I, I heard you. It's good. And he just doesn't hear. He's not hearing me. So I started making up stories because, um, sort of, I mean, they're lies because it's not true, but this is how it's okay. It's like parables. So, uh, so basically, he would say, yeah, sure, whatever. And I'd go, you know what? There was once a man. And I made up these stories about a fictitious uncle in our family that he's never met. I said, haven't you met Uncle Cletus before? Because I don't know anybody named Cletus, but there's a bit of a stereotype there. Um, slack-jawed yokel types. And I, I said, um, haven't you met our Uncle Cletus? And he goes, no, I've never met Uncle Cletus. And I was like, oh, hmm. well, you should know. And then I began to tell this series of fanciful stories. Every time he was, he was not listening, not hearing, I would just tell him. And, and poor Uncle Cletus had lost thumbs and eyeballs. He'd spent a considerable amount of time in uh, jail for various things that my nephew would be caught doing. Um, and I was like, you, you really? And he was like, oh, man, I don't want to end up like him. And then eventually he found out it wasn't real. And so I don't actually, you know, he'll be in counseling for it later. But <laughs> he needed to hear me. So I had to tell him a story. And that kind of woke him up. He's like, oh, the fork down. This is, what? Really? That ha- that's real? And I'm like, yeah, that's real. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, why don't you trust pastors anymore? So Jesus gets this patronizing nod and goes back to the party and he tells this story. And in his parable that he tells, everyone is preoccupied. The first said, I bought some property. What the first one says is my investments, my business plans. I, I got to get to those. The second one had bought oxen, my, my possessions. I got I to go see to these things. The next one says, I got married, my family, my desires. I have to go take care of these things. The parable is... is reminding these moral and religious people that they were missing the invitation to the real party. They were missing the invitation to Jesus. They were preoccupied with good things, even great things, responsible investments, quality plans, family values. These are not bad things. These are great things. But they had so gotten their eyes set on good things or even great things, they sort of missed the perfect thing, which, which paradoxically reminded me of 
of that. You ever heard that phrase, perfect is the enemy of good? And they're sort of in a place where good is the enemy of finding what's perfect. But perfect being the enemy of good was actually kind of jumped in my brain. And, and I really like that phrase. There are a lot of people out in the world waiting for something perfect when, when good enough or really good or even great is, is right there for them. Everybody has that man or woman in their life that's waiting for the perfect spouse. And everybody who's married is like, they're not coming. <laughs> Trust me. Perfect career, perfect house. We'll move if we invite the perfect house. When all along, a really great option is waiting. And in, in those worlds, a perfect is the enemy of good. It, it's not a, a real thing. I see this most clearly in weddings. Weddings, I've officiated a lot of weddings before. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun in, in one way to do weddings, and it's also sort of cringy because you get to see people at, at their kind of most stressed. My favorite brides and mothers of brides are... Uh, the ones that are able to zoom out a little bit and not get, not bridezilla is a term, I don't, I don't really care for that term, guys, but I like the ones that zoom out and, and they just relax a little bit and they allow for the thing to be beautiful and memorable, even if it's kind of wildly imperfect. Those are my favorite brides and mothers of brides and people just call them like relaxed and I'm just going, no, no, no they're, they're brilliant. They're not easy going, they're brilliant. And I don't know who gave them the good advice or if they're just wired up this way, but they, they figured it out because the wedding is so special and you'll either remember it as a super stressful season of your life that started out this other thing called marriage, which has its own plot twist, its own stresses, or one of the most magical days and seasons of your life that began this beautiful thing that is going to have its own ups and downs. My wedding uh, was put together quickly on a very tight budget. We're talking like um, you could count the number of weeks we had to get ready, and I said weeks in weeks, not in months or years. Our engagement was short. Our our venue went from one city to another with about two months to go. And so we just like, well, let's figure it out. And we had a really tight budget. Our premarital counseling, my wife and I, we had uh, 15 minutes of premarital counseling, which was a couple of questions about whether we wanted which dressing to go with the salad that we ate the lasagna with. My brother and I at my wedding, my brother was my groomsman. He was my groomsman, all of them. And he wore a black suit and I wore a navy suit and nobody really seemed to care. Our photographer, our photographer was the son of a professional photographer which is not the same thing as a professional photographer, just so you know. <laughs> the videographer, this was, I mean, this is a while back, so videographers weren't really a thing back then, but our videographer, we had one. He was Steph's uncle who had a camcorder from 1986 and a backup VHS just in case we were ready. Our reception, we had this really cool DJ named iPod <laughs> plugged into a speaker. Potluck finger foods instead of a meal, really well done, but pretty simple. In a reception that is in a room that kind of felt like a high school cafeteria because I think it was one. Even the ceremony was sort of gloriously imperfect. I have a picture of my wife and I after we had been a pronounced husband and wife. Look how happy she looks. So let me let me tell you what's happening here because I'm gonna leave this picture. Let you take a take a long gander. Why this is this is an abnormally happy kind of picture. Something has happened here. Telling you, this is a gloriously imperfect moment of my life. It was wonderful. We had our ceremony. The, the pastor allows me to kiss my bride, this magical moment ever. The, the room is swelling with romance and anticipation. We then turn, as couples are wont to do, and face all of our loved ones, everyone we've ever known or cared about in our life. 
And he says, I now present to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Kyle Burkholder. And I'm here, and my wife is here, and we're like, this is it. This is our first step as married people. And I take my first step, and I look over to her, and she's not there because her first step was straight to the floor. (laughs) First step, face plant. That's the rest of your life. Get used to it. (laughs) I did not see that coming. So I quickly... um, swiveled around in front of her, kicked her dad because he was going to try to save the day. And I was like, get out of here, buddy. You heard what he said. I'm the one now. So <laughs> had a moment. And then, and then I picked her up and I was like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And the whole room has been holding its breath for a solid 30 seconds now. And she kind of gives this little cutesy wave as only she can do. And everybody laughs and then she laughs and it turns out to be the greatest memory ever, which we can watch on our VHS except that we only had one copy and I taped Oprah over it one time. (laughs) So we do not have a copy of the wedding, otherwise we would have won America's Funniest Videos. It would have been great, but I taped over it, so oops. Um, But it was a really good episode. So um, why do I tell you these stories? We had a wildly imperfect wedding, and it was awesome. It was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. We never lost the point of it. It was special and it was precious. We didn't sweat the small stuff. The thing is, if you aim for perfect, it's never good enough because perfect isn't real. And if you aim for good, sometimes perfect shows up through those things. So when I say perfect is the enemy of good, it's the sort of thing that that we're, we're juggling here with what Jesus is telling these Pharisees. Because the irony is for them, they were so preoccupied with the good things in front of them that they missed the perfect Savior. But they were so focused on living the perfect, righteous, moral, religious life that they missed the true, capital G, good life. It's possible to live the perfect, religious, and moral life and miss the good Father and presence of the Savior. It's possible that the perfect becomes the enemy of the good. Perfect cake and perfect dress, perfect dinner, perfect dance, no face plants from the stage. But what was it all about? It's possible to have the perfect storybook wedding and miss the celebration of marriage. The perfect wedding doesn't come from the militaristic drive towards perfection and the various pieces of perfection. The perfect wedding, and everybody's been to a wedding where you go, gosh, that was a really great wedding, comes from authentically celebrating the point of the whole party which then somehow elevates all of the pieces in it to being kind of these perfectly imperfect pieces in light of what's being celebrated. So for the guests at this dinner with Jesus and for us in the room, we have to consider, are we chasing that perfect moral and religious life and missing out on the good father along the way? Because like a a life focus on perfect godly works doesn't make a ladder to God. In fact, Jesus says it can be a distraction, that that this chase for godliness can actually be a distraction. A life focused on God, though, can elevate all the things around us to being godly things. A life focused on God can create a life of perfectly imperfect things that point to him. Scripture says that you and I are the bride of Christ, which is this beautiful word picture. He's the groom waiting at the altar. We are the bride of Christ. We are collectively and individually chosen for him, to be brought to him, to be united with him, to be wed with him in unity. Life is the sort of wedding between God and man. 
this moment in time that leads to an eternal reality, that, that this is sort of the place, this is the altar where we meet God, we get to know God, we have our moment with God so that we might spend the rest of eternity with God. And for too many of us, we're so busy chasing down the caterer, so consumed with making sure we have something borrowed and something blue. We're so consumed with the details and the bits and the pieces that we miss out on the whole point of why we're here. We're so preoccupied with dance playlists and the decision as to whether we're going to walk off to a bubble tunnel or a sparkler or thrown rice, that we miss it. Or to make it practical, we're so busy chasing down the right moral solution, the right behaviors and beliefs or politics and procedures that we forget it's about Jesus all along, that if Jesus is first, those other things come into clear view anyway. It's like he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things should be added to you. It's, it's as if Jesus knew that this was going to be our issue, that if we think we can cobble together the right bits and pieces and it'll add up to God, Jesus goes, no, 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 you have, to, you have to chase God. And then through that, you'll find all the right bits and pieces. You can't chase stuff and find Jesus at the end of life's rainbow. But if you chase Jesus, God promises to give you everything you need to be satisfied. So we find religion and we lose sight of relationship. We get the perfect wedding, but we miss the groom altogether. We'll miss the groom standing at the altar waiting for us to claim us, to redeem us, to protect us, to love us, to lead us. And this is why Jesus, hearing these Pharisees, says, oh, guys, <sighs> yeah, it would be great to eat at God's kingdom. Okay, listen, there was once a man. And with all those too busy to come to dinner... With all those too distracted to truly sit with the Savior, his point of the story is God is going to just keep looking until he finds those who really know what this whole thing is about. God's not going to be, God's not going to be put off by the religious chasers. He's just going to go, they're not here for this party. That's a different dinner party altogether. Second Chronicles 16 as for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may support those whose heart is truly his. I love that verse. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth and it doesn't say for those whose moral behaviors add up to a hundred. For those whose hearts are truly his. He's just going to keep looking. You're not going to be forced into participation. And if we won't go, he'll bring in the misfits and the outsiders. And this is that point in the story where you and I have to go, I was the misfit and the outsider. He brought me in when I was that outsider. He brought me in when I was the misfit. He brought me in when I was the sinner unworthy of a seat at the table. He says, no, no, no. I've been looking and your heart is for me. Let's go. He's looking for those with nothing left to distract them from the Savior. There's something beautiful about when you're at the end of your rope, there's nothing left to distract you. When you're at the bottom of the barrel, there's nothing left to distract you. You're ready. Those who aren't so in love with the good life that they miss the perfect eternity, they're ready. So simply, don't be so in love with the good things in life that you miss the good Father, the whole point of this thing. Because we will spend our lives searching if left to our own devices. We will spend our lives searching and searching and searching and trying to build perfection in our world. And there's only one who is perfect in all of his ways. 
And so we have to learn to seek the one who is perfect and watch perfection tumble out of him rather than try to build perfection and then apply it to God as some sort of offering. Who are you in the story that Jesus tells? Are you the one that's gotten so busy with life that you miss the author and the maker, you miss the point of the party? Are you the outcast being invited in? If your religion has usurped your relationship with Jesus, then today is your day. If, even if you've been walking with Jesus a long time and you go, man, I needed the wake-up call. I've gotten so caught up with this, that, and the other, with this idea and that thing in the news and this other, whatever it is. Today's your day. The invitation to the party is set. You can set that thing aside. You can remind yourself. You can feel it in your heart that he's searching to and fro throughout the earth for those whose hearts are truly his. The kingdom of heaven is open. The table is set. And the Lord waits. And the love that you crave the companionship you are desperate for, the peace in a chaotic world that you just wish you could find, the good life that we all long for, that good, good, capital G, good life. It is with him. That's the point of this whole experiment. It is with him and it is in him. So the question today is, are you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for your love for us, that you wouldn't simply uh, leave us to toil and, and be blown about by the winds of the age, but God, that you would give us wisdom and clarity, that you would send Jesus to make sense not only of the world, but make sense of our souls, to make straight our crookedness, to make right our wrongs. Father, thank you for the beauty of the storytelling Jesus. Father, my prayer is that you would tell that story to our own hearts, that you would help it be personalized to each and every one of us, that we would find ourselves in the story you're telling and that we would find ourselves closer to you today. God, thank you for Jesus, his sacrifice, his resurrection that we'll celebrate in just a couple weeks. God, thank you for what that means about who we are in you, for what it means about our safety and our security what it means about our eternity. So, Father, we say thank you and we lift our prayer up in the name of this Jesus. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.